Good morning, Ken. Just kidding. This morning, we're beginning a new sermon series entitled The Perfect Family. How many of you have the perfect family? Okay. Right there. All right, Sonny. We got one in here. How many of you know the perfect family? Not you, Sonny. How many of you have ever thought that another family was the perfect family until you spent a little time with them? I think all of us can relate to that. How many of your families have ever been accused of being the perfect family until somebody spent a little time with you? Yeah, I think all of us can relate to both of those. There is no perfect family, nor has there ever been a perfect family. This morning's message is entitled, The Gospel and the Dysfunctional Family. When it, I think all of us would agree that we probably all have a little bit of dysfunction within our families, right? I think all of us would agree with that, right? When you think about your extended family, your siblings, your aunts and your uncles, your cousins, your, your, your parents, I mean, there is some dysfunction probably in all of our families. If you're like not in my family, let me challenge you to do something when you get home. Look in the mirror. You may be the dysfunctional piece within your family. You know, over the course of this sermon series, each of our family topics will begin with the gospel and... We're beginning these messages with the gospel and because there is a solution to all of our problems. The solution is the gospel. The solution is the Lord God. He is the solution to all of our families. Himself, His Son, His Spirit, His Word, His church, the solution to all of of our problems. To help us as we try to navigate the waters of this life, the Lord is with us. This is not an easy life, is it? I mean, you think about life in general. Life is hard. Life is, is messy. Our families are messy. You think about um, just the challenges that we face, the frustrating moments that are before us. There's much good in this life, but there's also many problems within this life. Death, broken bodies, splintered relationships, struggling marriages, divorce, or wayward children. A lot of mess within this world. This sermon series, I will assure you, is not a fix-all sermon series. This sermon series, I pray, though, will be a source of strength for all of our families as we dive into God's Word and study God's Word together and, 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 and walk through life together. We're going to look at topics like the gospel and marriage, the gospel and parenting, the gospel and singleness, the gospel and family relationships. We're going to look at all of these different things over the course of this sermon series. This week, though, we are looking at the gospel and the dysfunctional family. This is actually going to be kind of a setup message to the rest of this series. I will assure you that my family has a little bit of dysfunction within it. You know, I, um, I come from a divorced home. My parents divorced when I was young. My mom remarried, and when she remarried overnight, I gained, gained a, a, a stepbrother and two stepsisters. My father would remarry, 
And after he got married, um, he would have two children. So I have a half brother and a half sister. Um, the man that he, or the man, sorry, the woman that he married, um, also had two children. So there's another somewhere out there, stepbrother and stepsister. So there's some dysfunction within my, my family. And my wife will point out that I'm the source of that dysfunction most of the time. And what I tell her is I put the fun in dysfunction. You know, how many of you can relate to that? You put the fun in your family's dysfunction. You know, I think all of us um, will relate to this sermon series in some way or another. You know, here's what I want us to see this morning. It's this. There is no perfectly functioning family. There is no perfectly functioning family. You know how I know that? Because every single one of us in this room, we're all sinners. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room, we are sinners, and all of us have fallen short of God's glory. We've fallen short of what God intended for us to, to how he intended us to live this life. A definition of a dysfunctional family that I came across is this. A dysfunctional family is that which is not operating according to its original design. It's faulty, it's impaired, it's not working properly for optimal results. Think about the Bible. Would you agree that God's Word is full of more dysfunctional families than functioning families? I want you to just think just for a moment, okay? How many of you can identify in God's Word the perfect family? Just think for a second, okay? If you can identify in your mind right now the perfect family, just raise your hand in God's Word. Can anybody? As I was trying to prepare for this sermon, I went into to Debbie's office this week, and I said, Debbie, I want you to tell me, in God's Word, which family would you identify as being the perfect family? And she thought for a second, and she said, I can't. I can't think of any. And so think through this sermon. If you identify the perfect family in God's Word, come up after we're done and tell me um, this is why this family is the perfect family. I'd really appreciate that. Here's what we can see, and we'll see this morning, that the Bible is full of imperfect families. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says this, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. That verse was certainly true when Solomon penned it thousands of years ago, and it is just as true today. There is not a perfect man, woman, student, or child on this planet that always does what is righteous and never sins. That is why we have dysfunction within our families. We are a bunch of sinners trying to do life together. You know, when, when, when I got married, there was one imperfect man that married a perfect saint. And, and, and I quickly corrupted her. We had two children. Some of you think my children are perfect. I will assure you that they are not 
perfect. Come live with me for a few days and you will see that my two children are not perfect. They are imperfect just like all of us and just like all of your children are. You know, even as a church family, we are a bunch of sinners saved by grace that still sin daily. Our families are messy. Our church is messy. But we are not alone in our messiness. Besides the Lord Jesus Christ, there has never been a person that has walked the face of this earth that lived a perfect life. Jesus is the only one. So when you think that, man, that family's got it all together, or or that kid has it all together, know that that person and that family is just as much a sinner as you are and your family is a sinner. When we reach back to humanity's beginnings, we see the Bible full of imperfection. And, and just looking at the book of Genesis, we see it over and over and over. I mean, just think about the first family. You have Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God and were punished. And subsequently, each and every one of us in this room were punished because of that first sin. They had two sons. First two sons recorded in God's word, Cain and Abel. What did Cain do? He killed his brother Abel, right? So when you think about the perfect family, this family is probably disqualified, wouldn't you agree? I mean, think next we come to Noah, okay? Noah was a great man. I mean, he did righteous things in the sight of the Lord. Um, the Lord instructed him to build a, a giant boat, the ark. Took him about a hundred year, years to build that ark. He builds it. He loads his family into it. The rains begin to fall. That boat begins to rise, and God used that boat as a shelter and a safe haven for his family. What a beautiful picture of grace that is. Following the flood, Scripture tells us that Noah planted a vineyard. That vineyard produced wine, or grapes. Those grapes were used to make wine. What did Noah do? Noah took that those grapes, made some wine, got drunk, laid naked in his tent. His son comes in, finds him naked, and what does he do? He goes and tells his brothers. This family right here is probably disqualified from being family of the year. We, we move on and we come to Abraham, who is the father of the Israelites. He was clearly a man that God blessed and gave a tremendous promise to, said that his offspring would outnumber the stars in the sky. Abraham was a liar. He lied multiple times, but specifically two times he lied about Sarah, his wife, being his sister. And so he kind of let his wife go off with two different kings. Um, and who, I mean, those kings could have done anything they wanted to to his wife. Kind of messed up when you think about it, huh? Sarah laughed to God. When she overheard the Lord tell Abraham that she would have a child at the age of 90. Abraham was also a polygamist. Anyone think that this would make up the family of the year? That they would receive that award? Probably not. Abraham's son Isaac, he would marry Rebekah. They would have two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older um, by moments and clearly Isaac's favorite. Jacob was the younger and clearly his mom's favorite. Rebekah devised a plan that would allow Jacob to steal Esau's birthright from his father. 
probably a disqualification. Jacob would go on to have a couple of wives and a couple of concubines. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was brutally dishonest in his business practices. He would have 12 kids. Those kids would sell their second to the youngest brother, Joseph, into slavery. And then they would come back and tell their father that, um, that Joseph had been murdered. Probably disqualification right there. Moses. Moses was a murderer. He was a workaholic, and that's why his father-in-law had to come to him and tell him, hey, you need to start delegating some things because it was too much on him, and he was probably neglecting his family in the process, probably disqualified from the Father of the Year award. Rahab, she was a prostitute and a liar. She would be grafted into the family of God. She would become the great-great-grandmother of King David. She was a prostitute and a liar, but she was saved by grace, yet probably disqualified from winning the Mom of the Year award. David, he had one son who was a rapist, one son who slept with several of his dad's concubines. Solomon, who he had with Bathsheba, pretty much slept with anyone that he wanted to sleep with. Um, We could go on and on and on throughout God's Word, and we could see family after family that would be disqualified from being the perfect family. All throughout God's Word, we see a lot of dysfunction, don't we? Man, some of you, after me sharing just these few stories, are like, man, my family really does look a lot more perfect than those families do, right? I mean, because you're like, man, I've never done that, 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 or that. So that right there tells me that I'm probably a little bit more um, uh, going in the right direction with my family than some of those families did. Is that how God intended his family to function? Absolutely not. Notice what God's plan was for the family. Before God created man, he created day and night, the stars, the moon, and the sun, the heavens and the earth, the land and the seas, the plants and the animals. And then he created us, man and woman. And notice what God's word says in Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, we read these words. Then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female who created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every place yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life I have given and every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. God created the family to live in fellowship with him, to rule over his created beings, to be united to one man, one woman for a lifetime, to be fruitful and multiply. God's purpose for the family was to live in perfect fellowship with him and with one another and to multiply. So what happened? 
What caused the family unit to spiral out of control? What caused Adam and Eve to produce a murdering son? What caused story after story throughout God's Word and family after family unit to to fall short of God's family's purpose within their own family? What caused all of these things? What happened? Sin happened. And sin destroys the family, doesn't it? Sin destroyed the first family. And you can be certain that if we are not careful, sin will destroy our family as well. The reason there is no perfect family is because every family is made up of sinners. And sin taints anything it gets into proximity of. We know this. Satan wants nothing more than to destroy the Christian family. He wants nothing more to the, than to destroy the marriage covenant. Think about it. God instituted marriage and set the parameters for marriage and said that it should be between one man and one woman. But what happened? Man got involved, didn't we? And you know what we did? We took that which God clearly defined and we changed it. You know who is the master architect of the destroyed family and the master architect of the dysfunctional family? It's Satan, isn't it? The Bible says in John 10.10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Satan's trying to do to our family families. He's trying to destroy the family. He's trying to destroy the family unit. He's trying to destroy it from within, and he's trying to destroy it from without. Since Satan was kicked out of heaven, he has been trying to destroy all things God created. He began with the first family in the Garden of Eden, and guess what he did? He did not stop there. Just like He destroyed the first family. He is out to destroy our family. He is out to destroy your family, your marriage, your children, and your grandchildren. Let's look together at Genesis chapter 3 at verses 1 through 13. And let's see what Satan did to this first family. How he deceived it. And ultimately their sin destroyed it. We read in beginning in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me with gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. You see what sin did within that first family? It divided it, didn't it? It caused a separation to occur between God and Adam and Eve. That first family, they hid from God because they were ashamed. It also caused them to turn on each other. Adam, when he was confronted by God, immediately pointed his finger at Eve and said, She made me do it. And what did Eve do? Eve pointed her finger at the serpent and said, the serpent made me do it. You know, I have the opportunity to counsel families. And, and um, over the course of the years that I've been in the ministry and the families that I've counseled, so often those meetings go like this. He did this or she did that. He said this or she said that. It's a blame game, isn't it? Pointing fingers at each other as being the source of the problem happens with our kids as well. Our kids fight and they blame each other. Um, They get mad and what do they do? They blame us. It's a blame game, isn't it? That blame game didn't just start. It, it, It began right at the moment that that first sin corrupted Adam and Eve and subsequently every family unit since then. All throughout the Bible, we see the effects of sin upon the family. All throughout our society, we see the effects upon the sin upon the family. I want you to know this this morning. There is a solution, and God is that solution. Let's look at our final point, God's solution for the family. There is a solution for the dysfunction, and that solution is clearly Jesus. Even in the midst of our sinfulness, the Lord is with us, just like the Lord was with each of our biblical characters. I mean, think about most of those families that I I alluded to at the beginning of this message are in the book of Genesis. Right at the very beginning of God's Word, we see dysfunction after dysfunction after dysfunction within those family units. You know, there's something amazing about each one of those dysfunctional families. All of them are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great faith chapter. That is the chapter that we read over and over where by faith Abraham did. By faith Noah did. By faith this character did. Over and over and over we read of their faithfulness. Yes, we do see their sinfulness, but between their sin and their faith, guess what there is? There's this thing that's called grace. God's grace covered them in the midst of their sinfulness. Here is the good news. 
God does not reserve his love for perfect families or perfect people. Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. He did not come for the righteous, but the unrighteous is what Jesus said. There's nothing that you can do that disqualifies you from God's grace. Actually, there's one thing that you can do that disqualifies you from God's grace. And that is this, to die without a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That is the only thing that, dis, that can disqualify you from experiencing God's grace. Dying, having never repented of your sins, and never placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That is the only disqualification. It does not matter what sins you have committed. It does not matter what sins I have committed or what sins your parents have committed, or your children have committed, or your grandchildren have committed. It doesn't matter how big they are or how small they are. Every single one of us in this room, if we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can experience God's grace and God's love and God's mercy. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. In the midst of our mess-ups, our anger, our rebellion, our lies, the Lord walks with us. We may not be perfect husbands, perfect wives, perfect children, perfect parents, perfect grandparents, or perfect aunts and uncles, or perfect bosses, or workers, or, or, or whatever the case might be. But we have a God that loves us and has provided a way for us to be redeemed from our sinfulness and covered by his grace. Adam and Eve set into motion two things. The destructiveness of sin Everything was affected by it. That was the first thing that they set into motion. But notice also God's grace. They didn't set into motion God's grace, but God's grace covered them as a result of their sin. God could have easily destroyed the earth and his creation and started all over again, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Because he loves us. He loves every one of us in this room, and he has loved everyone that was born before us, and he will love everyone that will be born after us. He loves all of us. And he sent his son Jesus to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. And his blood provides a covering to all who cry out to him to be their Lord and Savior. I mean, even when we reach back to this first family and their first act of sin, we see a subsequent covering that occurred. And in Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, we read these words. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. There was a sacrifice that occurred Right here after that first sin. And the Lord took the garment from that sacrifice and he covered Adam and Eve. You know what he has done for us? 
He's, God the Father sent His Son, Jesus, to this earth. Jesus was born a supernatural birth. He was born of a virgin. He would live a perfect life, never committing a sin. He would be arrested. He would be tried. He would be bitten, spit upon, beaten. All of these different things would occur to him. They laid him down upon that wooden tree and they drove those nails into his hands and into his feet. That cross was, was lifted up. It was set into place and Jesus would hang on that cross. And while he's on that cross, Jesus is shedding his blood. You know why Jesus is shedding that blood? Because that, what that blood represents is a covering for our sins. That's, that blood represents for us the very covering. Um, there, there's a picture within it of the very covering that we see happen with Adam and Eve. That blood covers us. That blood provides for us a way that we can experience life eternally. Jesus would die upon that cross. He'd be taken down from that cross, wrapped in clothes, placed into that borrowed tomb, and three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. Do you know why the resurrection is significant? Because it proves that Jesus Christ is indeed God in the flesh. Proves everything he said was true. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way that leads to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. If you are here this morning and you have never repented of your sins and you have never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Repent of your sins. Say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mess-ups. Ask him to forgive you. And then acknowledge that he is indeed Lord and he is indeed Savior. And the Bible says that if you do that, then you will be given the gift of eternal life. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. You know, here's what we're going to see as we walk through this sermon series together. We're going to see that there is no perfect family because there is no perfect person. All of us are sinners in this room. All of us make mistakes every single day. But we serve a God who loves us, who reached down from heaven and came to this earth to die for us. He conquered death so that you and I can conquer this life that we live. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, the wages of sin is death. The consequences for our sin is death. But then it goes on to say that verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Jesus is providing for us today a free gift. And if you accept that free gift this morning, God's word is clear that you shall spend eternity with God the Father in heaven. This morning as we enter into this time of invitation, if you're here this morning you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. Okay? 
I'm going to pray. And then uh, at the point where I say amen, if, there's, if you want to give your life over to Jesus, then I will be here at the front. I'd love to share with you more about how you can do that. You may be here this morning. The Lord's leading you and your family to make Friendship Baptist Church your church home. I'll be standing here. love to receive you. You may be here this morning, and you just need to remain seated where you're at and just pray during this time of invitation. You may recognize that, man, as I often do, that I'm kind of that dysfunctional piece within my, my family. And you may need to just repent for a few minutes where you're at and just say, Lord, forgive me for this, this, and this. And ask God to just restore you. And there may need to be some restoration that occurs within your marriage. And we're going to walk through this sermon series together over the next several weeks. And I just want to challenge all of us in this room over the course of this week and the weeks that are before us just to pray and ask the Lord just to reveal to us if there are certain things that we need to do to be better grandparents, to be better parents, to be better husbands and wives or, or employees or employers. Let's pray specifically for those things. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to make that decision. Father God, we come before you now, Lord Jesus, just admitting. I admit, Father, that I'm a sinner. Father, I fall short every single day of what your intended purpose is for me. Father, I make mistakes. I mess up. I I don't love my wife the way I'm supposed to. I don't love my children the way I'm supposed to. I don't say the things that I should. And Father, I ask you to forgive me. And Father, I just pray, Lord Jesus, over the coming weeks that all of us in this room will just seek you and ask you to reveal to us any areas within our lives, any relationships within our lives that need to be mended and fixed. Father, I I pray now during this time of invitation, if there's someone here that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, I pray this morning they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. There may be some here this morning, Lord, that you are leading to make friendship their church home. And, Father, we welcome them. Father, during this time of invitation, I don't know what decision needs to be made, but I know that you do. And, Lord, I pray that you will move. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.